And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Our guest today is Luke Womack. Luke is the founder and executive director of the Go Fund, which we'll hear more about in a moment. He's a graduate of California Baptist University and currently resides with his family in California. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Hey, glad to be with you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Hey, to start us off, why don't you share with us just some about your, your story, kind of who you are, how you came to know Christ, and what you do currently? Yeah, I would love to. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, and I was actually one of five kids, believe it or not. And not only that, I was a middle child and a pastor's kid, right? So like all of these cross-sections of childhood challenge intersected for me. You know, despite those, God is really gracious. I would say growing up, we were materially very poor, but spiritually very rich. And when I say materially poor, I mean that from an American perspective. I mean, globally, we were still quite rich, but you know, we were below the poverty line from an American perspective. I remember, you know, as a kid, all five of us would drive up to like a food pantry and we'd load up our green Ford Windstar with hundreds of frozen lasagna dinners. And as kids, we're like, oh, this is awesome. Like my parents are like, oh God, like frozen lasagna for another year. I don't know if we can do this, but yeah, yeah, God was really kind to us in that we didn't really know or care as kids that we, we didn't have much money, but on the other hand, we were really spiritually rich. And the reason I say that, among other things, is that my father would come into the room every night and share a Bible story with my brother and I. And, uh, you know, thanks to Don Whitney's great book, Family Worship, I would now refer to that as Family Worship. And we do that with our kids now. Um, but yeah, because of that, I grew up with a great working knowledge of Scripture. And by God's grace, that knowledge moved its way to my heart. And at the age of seven, I accepted Christ. So it's like, man, for young dads and moms out there, if you're banging your head against the wall trying to figure out how do we do this thing, if you do one thing, just do family worship every single night with your kids. It takes 10 minutes. Super simple. You just read through scripture, you sing a song together, and you pray. We do it so often that our kids literally ask us to do it at night. They're like, family worship, family worship. They keep us accountable. You know, if we forget or we're tired or something, we're like, all right, let's do it. You know, it takes 10 minutes and it's the best use of our day. So that was a big part of my you know, legacy growing up as a kid. And yeah, I honestly, went to college really not knowing that most kids globally weren't like me. I figured everyone has a dad who's sharing scripture with them, but realized in college that wasn't really the case, right? There's 3 billion people I learned without access to the gospel, 40% of the world or so, we call them unreached peoples. That was new to me. And yeah, it was really shocking to me that not everyone was exactly like me. That's that's kind of an ethnocentric childhood view that that had to overcome. And yeah, the summer of my junior year in college, I went to India. So I heard about these unreached people. I'm like, gosh, I don't really believe it. I want to see it for myself. I've never been in a context like that. And so I spent two months in India and, and it totally broke me. I mean, if I'm being honest, even though I loved India, I loved the people, loved the food, the culture. Um, it was the worst summer of my life, man. It was horrible. 
And specifically, I remember this one moment, I walked into a temple in downtown Delhi, India, and I watched a man about three times my age bow down to and worship a stone. And it struck me in that moment, like my whole world just paused. If nobody brings the good news to this man, everything that I believe about the Bible is actually true. Then I also have to believe that that guy's going to hell. And that was super uncomfortable for me because I think at first there was some guilt where I'm thinking, well, that's not fair. Why do I have something he doesn't have? And so, yeah, I don't think I was mad at God. I just felt like that was really unfair. Now I'm like, wait a second, you know, back up that theology real quick. What's fair? Like what's fair is me entering an eternity apart from God. Like I don't deserve God's grace yet. He gave it to me freely and he used my father as a conduit to extend that grace to me. So what's really fair is for both of us to go to hell. And so that quickly led me to over the next few months, this beautiful reality that I not only had this duty as a follower of Christ to bring the gospel to men like that. And that is a duty, right? Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Like, I want to do what Christ tells me to do. That is a duty, period. I'm a slave to Christ. But I think it was also matched in that season with a desire where I said, wait a second, not only do I have to do this, do I have to make disciples of all nations because I put myself in servanthood to the King of Kings, but I also get to do this. Like, this is the best possible thing I could do with my life. It brings me the most joy now and forever. And I get to play a part in that guy's salvation story. I mean, come on, like, what more could I do or what I want to do with my life? So by God's grace, this idea of duty and desire kind of got married in India. And God really lit this flame in my heart that he's continued to fuel over the last decade or so, which ultimately led to me starting the GoFund to functionally eliminate barriers to advance the gospel to the unreached, to guys like the one that I, I saw in India. Praise the Lord, man. Thanks for sharing some of that background, some of that story. The topic I want to talk about today is related to what you just mentioned. It's it's what are some of the barriers to people getting to the mission field? What are some of the obstacles that are keeping people from being able to go? So to start, maybe from your perspective, can you share what you believe are some of the, the common obstacles, some of the common barriers that can prevent people from serving on the mission field? Yeah, you know, it's a great question and one we've been thinking about for about a decade. You know, we did a study on this about a year ago because, you know, after eight plus years of paying student debt, we figured there's got to be other barriers out there that, that we can attack. And even if we can't attack all of them, we want to just be very aware of what else is going on. What's preventing people from getting in the mission field, right? And so we interviewed a cross-section of pastors, current and former cross-cultural workers, you know, lay people, professionals. We wanted to get a, um, a nice broad stroke. And we asked them questions, among other things, about the most significant barriers that they were seeing getting in the way of getting missionaries to the field. And we actually found uh, four categories, if you will, or four buckets that captured, we think, almost all of the primary barriers. There's some others that are kind of distinct and unique, the one or two percent here or there. But I think these four buckets capture almost all of them. So number one would be discipleship issues. Number two is financial issues. Number three is relationship issues. And number four is logistical issues. And those are, are roughly in order of how high people were reporting to us that they perceived them to be an issue. So I'll go over some specific examples of each. And there's a ton. But number one, I would say this bucket, this probably encompasses most of the main barriers that aspiring missionaries are facing. 
uh, when it comes to going overseas, or, or I would even say non-aspiring missionaries, right? Like if you're not, if you're not interested in missions, maybe you should be. Well, that's kind of the issue. So number one, I would say is discipleship issues. Obviously, it could be sin. We found that you know porn addiction is probably one of the main sins that is preventing people from getting into the field. Obviously, there's many others, but that seems to pop up a lot. Another discipleship issue would be like poor theology. You know, the quote, I'm not called mentality, maybe just apathy as well. Apathy is simply lack of caring. You know, I don't care about the unreached. It could be fear. It could be anxiety. Obviously, some of those could be clinical or psychological as well, but we think there's a sin connection to that. Also, ignorance would just be not knowing. If apathy is not caring, ignorance is like not knowing. Yeah, I think it was Barna in 2017 came out with a study that said 51% of American churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is. So whether or not that number is right or wrong, that's a big issue. And then I think just generally spiritual immaturity. So those would all fit for us inside of the bucket of discipleship issues. And that's, that's the biggest one that we're seeing. Number two bucket would be financial issues. Obviously, student debt. That's one that we're, we're working on. People who have a, a super promising career here, just the temptation of uh, pursuit of money for satisfaction that could be an issue. Nothing wrong with a promising career unless God's telling you to go. Then it becomes a big issue. Number three bucket would be relationship issues. That's like, hey, I, you know, I want to get married, and I haven't found the person, so I'm afraid to go. Or maybe I'm currently dating, and you know we're not really sure, which I understand. I get that. But more than anything, we see either a spouse or a parent doesn't want them to go, and that becomes uh, such a remarkable barrier for young people that they end up not going. And then number four would just be logistical issues. Yeah, maybe someone doesn't know what to do next. There's a sense of being overwhelmed with all the potential options and kind of sidelines people and, you know, visa issues, things like that. But I think those four buckets, the discipleship, financial, relational, logistical, are are where we're seeing the main barriers to missionaries getting overseas. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And even trying to distill that down into a category of four, I think is really good. I think for the most part, you you captured those, you know, before serving in this role, I served at a, a, send, a mission sending organization and we saw people come through the, the pipeline in the process and heard many of those exact same barriers. Maybe one additional one that I may add would be something related to kind of physical or mental, maybe illness or something along those lines. You have people who are dealing with physical or emotional kind of realities, but man, for the most part, you hit all of those key ones. So maybe just just briefly, we'll get into this some more, but maybe briefly, in your opinion, how can candidates better prepare ahead of time to maybe not get held up by by some of these barriers? Yeah, that's a good question. And obviously our bias is going to be connected to uh, the issue of student debt. But yeah, I would just say, number one, most important, if you want to not get held up by some of the issues we were talking about, get plugged in deeply to a local church. I mean, there's no better solution for someone who's thinking about or considering going overseas. Get plugged into a local church. Don't church hop. Don't go to a new church every you know six months. Stick around. Lean into the pain when things don't you know go your way or aren't your preference. You know, be, be really clear which things are essentials, which are non-essentials. If there's an essential that's getting in the way of healthy church membership, like they're not preaching the gospel, that's one thing. But if, you know, they're serving communion once a month and you prefer every week, probably not something worth leaving over. So I would say, yeah, just get involved with the local church, get to know your elders and uh, get guidance from them. Sit down with your elders and say, hey, I'm thinking of going overseas. Can you help coach me? Where do you see gaps? Talk about sin issues, talk about spiritual immaturity, you know, grow your theology, et cetera. So I almost just want to end it there because I feel like that's so important. 
But when it comes to some of the financial issues like student debt, uh, just because that's a lot of what we talk about, I would say that if you're going to college right now or thinking to go to college soon, work while you're in college. So there's this idea that like college is my number one job. And I get that. We want to be good stewards, spend a lot of money to go to college. And, and by the way, we're very pro college. We think it's of immense value. But I don't agree that you know, you can't work while in college. In fact, um, I would recommend that anyone who goes to college should also work part-time. There are studies that show that working between one to 20 hours per week actually correlates directly with an increase in GPA. So as opposed to working zero hours, right? Those people actually have a lower GPA than those who work a little bit. And maybe that's Parkinson's principle a little bit. It's like you have less time, so you're maybe a little bit more efficient with the time that you can study. But the benefit there is obviously you can cash flow your tuition. So yeah, if you're in college or thinking of going to college, plan to work at least a little bit while you're in school and just throw all that money toward your tuition. And then I would say another thing to not get stuck when it comes to trying to go overseas, get a degree that connects to strategic placement on the field. Like so often we think about what my parents wanted me to do or what would be a fun career. I get that. Like, you know, those aren't always necessarily bad things, but if you're wanting to go overseas, I would first get in touch with a mission agency and ask yourself and ask them which degrees would be most strategic. And it's different for different countries, right? Certain locations or, or certain you know, religious blocks are going to welcome certain degrees more than others and, and certain geographical contexts as well. So begin to think about that. A really good group to talk to is the traveling team. This is a group that helps to mobilize uh, students and actually pair them with sending agencies. So they really become experts on how to pair aspiring missionaries with the right sending agency, and they have relationships with, with all the big ones. So traveling team, or thetravelingteam.org, you go check them out. I think you can get links with them online. But yeah, those are just a couple practical ways to not get held up by some of those barriers. Yeah, that's really helpful. You know, you mentioned kind of financial debt. So I want to dive a little bit deeper there. But based on your experience, Luke, how significant of an obstacle is financial debt really? I think student debt is one of the main barriers preventing people from getting to the field. Is actually, you know, Albert Muller, I think it was in 2013 in an article or, or on his podcast at some point, he claimed that student debt was the greatest barrier to getting young people overseas than Satan himself. That was how he stated it. And that was a, a phrase that really encouraged me to pursue the elimination of student debt for aspiring missionaries. So that sparked my activity. But I also did some research of my own, Paul. So I, in 2013, when we're getting this thing started, I called about 100 of my peers from college and I hadn't talked to some of them in a year or two. And uh, my opening line was, hey, have you ever considered a career in long-term missions to the unreached? They're like, hey, Luke, you know, nice to talk to you too. It's, it's been a while. Like, really? We're, we're, we're just going to get right into it, right? I'm like, yeah, I, I want to know. So a lot of them said, you know, yes, they consider going overseas. I think it was like two-thirds of them. It was a lot. And the second question then was, why are you not there now? And I kid you not, every single person cited student debt as the main reason they weren't overseas today, if they had considered doing long-term missions. And it was just so clear, I couldn't ignore it. It was student debt, student debt, student debt. It's like, okay, either these people are, are bluffing and they're you know maybe afraid to go overseas and they're just using student debt as a smokescreen, or it really is an issue. And if it was gone, they would go. 
And so we figured it's probably the latter. We wanted to have an optimistic view and we started paying student debt for people and they actually started going overseas. So, I mean, here are the facts about student debt. I would say number one, degrees matter. Just from a missiological context, 60% or so of unreached people live in countries that are close to missionaries, right? So you can't just send, quote, missionaries to most unreached people groups. You have to send someone who can bring some type of economic value and typically how that's measured by a foreign country is, is looking at your, your studies. You know, what degree do you have um, that you can utilize here to bring economic value? So that's number one. Degrees really do matter. Number two, student debt is real. And the problem isn't getting better. It's getting worse. Tuition costs have grown by a multiple of 2.6 since 1991. So in the last 30 years, tuition is almost three times more expensive. And that's after accounting for inflation. So like the real cost of tuition is 3x which is a big deal, right? Like if you look at a chart of the growth in cost of goods and services over the last 20, 30 years, number one is like medical services, right? If you've been to the hospital in the last five years, it's like a hundred grand to have a bed for a night. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So obviously medical costs have gone way up, healthcare costs. And right behind that is student debt. It's not far behind. And then on the other end of the spectrum, just for fun, there's like TVs. Like you remember when plasmas came out 20 years ago, it was like 15 grand to get a plasma and like, only a few people had them. Now you go to Costco or Sam's Club, they're like giving them away. They're like, hey, we don't even want it. Here's a 90-inch TV. It's five bucks. Just take it. We don't even want them. Just take it home. So that's an example of like two goods and services that have had opposite you know, impact and effect in our economy. But it just continues to get more expensive for tuition, which is obviously an issue. But the third thing that we're seeing, these degrees matter. They're expensive. But where the holdup comes in is mission agencies typically have a cap on the amount of student debt you can have when going overseas, which, by the way, we think is a good thing. So we, we wish mission agencies wouldn't raise the limit. We wish they'd all lower it to zero. You can't have any student debt or you got to have someone else take care of it to go overseas. Like the IMB, for instance, your biggest mission agency in the United States, uh, their limit, I believe, is 200 bucks a month. So if you have 200 bucks a month or more student debt, you got to get that amount down before you go. Um, so. Yeah, put all that together, some of those facts. We call it the mobilization paradox. Um, higher education is strategic, but student debt inhibits missions work. Okay, that background is, is really helpful. So now I want you to kind of shift gears and tell us about what you're doing with the GoFund. Obviously, you started, you founded an organization essentially to kind of attack this problem. So tell us a little bit about how it came into existence and really what's the, the primary problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, you know, in college, I was discipled by a guy named Brian Zuniga. And, you know, Brian really used, you know, some of those old navigator tools, like, you know, the little verse packs. So he, he taught me about that when I was in college and, you know, just kind of cut my teeth on spiritual disciplines as an adult. And it was an incredible experience. I actually read the biography of Dawson Trotman, who founded the Navigators. And I was so impressed by his story and just his his remarkable obedience to God in the face of all the challenges he faced in his life that I actually named my son after him. So our only son is named Dawson after Dawson Trotman. I have a list of people that I want to meet in heaven, obviously after, you know, Jesus and some relatives really high up there is like Keith Green, musician from like the well, the eighties and uh, Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman's probably number one on that list just because he's had such influence on my life. But he said this, this is how I would capture his legacy and, and something that really motivated me to do something in missions that mattered. He said, quote, never do anything that someone else can or will do when there's so much of importance to be done that others cannot 
or will not do. And for me, I remember reading that and I just, I started crying. It struck me at such a deep visceral level. I said, that's it. Like that is what I want my life to be about. I don't want to do things that other people can do or will do. I want to do the things that other people can't do and that they won't do. They're unwilling to do. Like that's how I want to live my life. And that really cemented itself when I was reading about the life of Paul in college in Romans 15, 20. Paul says he made it his ambition to preach Christ where he'd never been named before. And, and to be clear, I don't think every follower of Christ is called to do that specifically. Like we're all called to make disciples, but he had a very specific ambition to preach Christ where he's never been named. Unlike, say, a pastor like my father who ministers to people who have access to the gospel. Praise God, that's a wonderful calling but it wasn't Paul's. And I felt like my calling was very similar to Paul's. I want to help the gospel get to where Christ has never been named. So he was really doing something others could not or would not do. And so I mentioned India, you know, went overseas to India and just really started the GoFund to help get the gospel to men like the one you know, that I saw. So our mission today is to eliminate barriers to advance the gospel to the unreached. And uh, Paul, there's three barriers that we're working on solving. First one is student debt. That was kind of our flagship program. And uh, our solution is a student debt repayment program. The next two are actually in development right now. So the second one is ignorance, churchgoer ignorance. There's a, a lot of churchgoers uh, who just don't know what the Great Commission is and what the implications are in their life. So we're working on developing some core videos to talk about God's heart for the nations, the state of the unreached. And then the third barrier is complexity. I mean, once someone gets it, like they've been put on mission, a lot of times people don't know what to do next. So we're developing a next steps module to help people take their next step in missions, whether it's as a goer or a sender. I mean, frankly, more people are going to be senders. And so we want to equip those people to be obedient as a sender by, by resourcing them and connecting them to great ideas and ministries. The Great Commission is a call to go. And a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. Now, I just kind of want to jump to the practical. Tell us how the GoFund works. Can you explain the process for us? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So I'll focus on our flagship program since the others are in development. But our program is called the Student Debt Repayment Program, the SCRP. And basically, we're looking for aspiring missionaries with student debt between twenty to a hundred thousand, so no less than twenty thousand in household student debt, no more than a hundred thousand. And really, we're looking for three things. We're looking for those going long term. So short-term missions is fantastic. My heart was changed on a short-term trip. But if we want to see you know pioneer regions reached with the gospel, it's going to be you know through the laboring of those who are going long term. Short-term missions is not really for those on the field. It's for the person going. But if you want to you know, have impact, you're going to have to you know, learn a language, learn a culture. That just takes a long time. 
So it's not a number of years. It's really just a mindset. Hey, we're going to this people group to plant a church. And that's going to take some time and, and language learning likely. So long term, uh, we're also looking for aspiring missionaries and through their local church. So we're very big on, on local church. Uh, the GoFund is not a church. It's a parachurch. So we are coming alongside local churches as they do the sending. We don't do any sending, right? The church does all the sending, and we just want to meet a need that most churches can't meet. So we're looking for people involved in their local church. The question I always have for people, if, if they're kind of going as a lone ranger, so to speak, not connected to a local church, it's like, what are you planning to reproduce? You're going overseas to do what exactly? To plant a church? Okay. What model are you using if you're not yourself currently a part of a local church? Like that logic just does not add up for me. And, and so we do want to people plugged in to a local church who've been there for years, whose elders are giving them a thumbs up, supporting them emotionally, financially. It just works so much better when it's done that way. And I, I don't see an example in scripture of Christians going out into cross-cultural work without people behind them supporting them. We just don't want to put people in that situation. And third would be unreach. We're looking for people going to unreach people groups. There's so much value in ministering to reach people. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that by any means. And God calls a lot of people to do that. It's just not what we do. Uh, God has called the GoFund uh, to resource missionaries going specifically to the unreached. You might ask, who are the unreached? Well, I mean, largely it's about 40% of the world that has 2% or less evangelical among them to minister to them and, and share the gospel with them. Obviously, some have far less than 2%, but that's the three things that we're really looking for. And yeah, just to note, we uh, we approve about 20% of applicants. So it's most people that we're saying no to, uh, but we also do receive leads from several partners who have preferred access to our services. The first one being Radius International, a great training group down in, in Tijuana, Mexico, a wonderful organization uh, that, that's really training missionaries to plant churches in pioneer contexts. About a third of our missionary partners are actually approved through them. So they've sent us a third of, of the people we've helped. And there's a couple other mission agencies that we're formally partnered with. ABWE, a great group out in Pennsylvania. Paul Davis is their president. We know him personally. Great guy and a great group. Been around for like 100 plus years. And another one is Christar, a group down in Texas. Uh, Steve Coffey is their president. I know him personally as well and couldn't recommend them, them enough. So yeah, just in summary kind of some of our lifetime stats and, and what God has allowed us to do so far. We've committed about $4.5 million of student debt repayment to 88 missionaries. And uh, we're hoping to approve 25 more just this year in 2022. So yeah, if, if you or someone you know has student debt as a barrier, go to thegofund.com slash apply, and we'd love to consider you uh, for partnership. Man, that's awesome. Thank you for what you're doing, how you're leading, and, and the ways that you're helping people really get from here to kind of from A to B, get to the nations, but making sure that you're knocking out this often barrier that they run into. I want to switch now to kind of a lightning round and kind of get ask some kind of shorter, quicker type of questions. I think I know the answer to this one, but just would love to hear you kind of articulate a little bit. The average age and stage of life of the people that are applying for the GoFund is blank. Yes, about 25 to 30 years old. Could be single or married. We get a lot of both, but they, they all have you know at least a bachelor's degree and a ton of gospel ambition. Okay. Okay. That's good. This is another fill in the blank question. What's one thing that churches could do better to help with the barrier of debt? Uh, disciple people to become world Christians. 
right? So like if we're thinking globally, we think about our student debt different, right? So whether you're discipling people to be a goer or a sender, it doesn't matter, but let's disciple them to be world Christians. You know, God's a missionary God, so we want to be a missionary people. And once you have that framework and that mindset and you have those lenses on, it really changes how you view money. That's good. Because like, I mean, at any point, God can call me to go overseas. I'm going to think differently about my finances and taking out debt and all that. Uh, when, when that that's an option that's on the table. Yeah, that's good. That's encouraging. I think some of our listeners are, are pastors, church leaders, and I think they're always trying to think through how can we help people kind of knock out some of these obstacles so they can get to the field. So that's, that's helpful. I want to ask kind of the next question is kind of a two-sided question. Something about your current work that is concerning to you or maybe discouraging to you, and then something that is encouraging to you. Yeah, concerning, I would be, you know, according to Barna, 51% of American churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is. I would say this, if I was to encourage pastors, because I know a lot of pastors are talking about it, I would say, man, if, if you can help it, don't do a missions week or a missions Sunday. Every Sunday is a mission Sunday, right? Like one of the best pastors I ever sat under, he had a way every single sermon to not only connect the scripture, the text, he flew very low to the text. He always connected it to the gospel and to the nations. Like every time, every single sermon, it's, you know, this is how it connects to the gospel, informs the gospel, applies to your life, and how it connects to the nations. If we start to talk about scripture and read scripture through gospel, nations-focused lenses, like you can't unsee that stuff. And for your congregants, you know, to the, to the pastor out there, begin to talk about that, right? It's, it's not David and Goliath. David saying, Goliath, I'm going to cut off your head. For me, it's, hey, listen, you're not just killing the giants in your life. That's not the point. David said to Goliath, I'm going to cut off your head so that all the world might know who the God of Israel is. This is a missions passage, right? So what are the implications on your life as you look at David and he's saying, Goliath, I'm going to kill you for God's fame among the nations, right? That is a missions passage. And once you start to see that, you see it everywhere. So I, yeah, that was a little bit of a rant, but my concern is that most people don't know what the Great Commission is. And I think part of the reason is we're not going far enough from the pulpits. And then an encouraging thing on the other side, I'm just encouraged by young people. I'm so deeply encouraged by people in the, you know, maybe 18 to 30-year-old age group. I would say, you know, from almost last 10 years in ministry work, encountering this group a ton, they don't want to live for something. They want to die for something. And they really believe that. Like, I think the reason a lot of 18 to 30 year olds are apathetic about what America has to offer is because it's not enough. It's boring to them. Or previous generations really bought in to materialism. I, I think young people, they're really bored by it and they're waiting for something that they can die for. And, and so once, you know, in the pews of the churches, they can hear that and capture it that, oh, I can live for something that matters for eternity. They're going to buy in, I think, at a level that's, that's potentially even deeper and greater than even the last few generations. Mm, amen. I, I love what you mentioned there at, at the front part about, yeah, our, I mean, if we really believe that our God is a missionary God, the Bible is a missionary book, then that has humongous implications for our lives 52 weeks a year, not just one week out of 52 where we kind of have a side project focus on mission, but this is who we are. This is why God gave us breath, why he gave us life. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. Luke, thank you so much for your time. I have one last question for you. What is one thing you would want to say to aspiring missionaries listening to this conversation who desire to go overseas but are currently struggling with education debt? Make war on your student debt. I would focus every single effort 
in your life every resource to just absolutely destroying and obliterating your student debt because the average person takes 21 years to pay off their student debt. And I do not want any of you to be average. I would love to see you pay it off in one, two, three years. We've seen a ton of people do that. Once they get hyper-focused, you know, they're eating top ramen, they're living with their parents, whatever you need to do to pay that thing off, do it. Don't get a car payment. Don't eat at a restaurant. You're doing dishes at the restaurant. Like do everything you can to pay it off. And those few years are going to be really challenging, but it's going to be so much better when it's done. And at that point, you will be able to surrender your life fully to wherever or however God calls you without the profound barrier of student debt. Amen. Amen. Luke, thank you so much for your time for the conversation today. My pleasure. Thanks. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.